0: Welcome to Scotch Friday podcast. My name is Carmel Sacrin, and I'm your host. This podcast is part of our leadership series during the COVID-19 pandemic. The coronavirus has impacted every aspect of our daily lives. Our federal and provincial elected officials have set aside partisanship and political theater in the fight against COVID-19. The pandemic has become the rallying cry for everyone to join Team Canada. So how has the business of Parliament and the role of parliamentarians changed during this pandemic? Are there any positive takeaways or will Parliament go back to the way it was after the pandemic? To shed light on these questions, I have with me a very special guest, Karina Gould, Member of Parliament for Burlington and Minister of International Development. Welcome, Karina.
1: Thank you. Delighted to be here.
0: Well, we're delighted to have you. Before we get started, Karina, I want to share with our listeners some of your background. And there's a lot, and I will be quick. You are 33 years old, you grew up in Burlington in a family with three brothers. At 16, you participated in the Forum for Young Canadians, spending a week in Ottawa, learning about the federal government, which you credit as the impetus for your goal of having a career in Parliament. After graduating from M.M. Robinson, You spent the next year volunteering at an orphanage in Mexico where you met your future husband, Alberto. You returned to Canada in 2006 and you attended McGill University where you earned a joint honours degree in political science as well as Latin American and Caribbean studies. You wrote your honours thesis on the Canadian electoral system. You graduated first class honours with distinction in 2010. And during your time as an undergraduate, you served as president of the Arts Undergraduate Society and helped organise fundraising for humanitarian aid for Haiti in the aftermath of the 2010 earthquake. In 2010, you took a job with the Organization of American States in Washington, DC. You subsequently completed a master's degree in international relations at Oxford University. And upon completing your graduate studies at Oxford, you decided to move back to Burlington. You took up a job working as a trade and investment specialist for the Mexican Trade Commission in Toronto where you held the position for less than a year before announcing your candidacy in 2015 election at the ripe age of 28. You were elected first in 2015 as MP for Burlington and and then again re-elected in 2019. In In January 10th, 2017, you were named Minister of Democratic Institutions and President of the Queen's Privy Council for Canada. These appointments made you the youngest female cabinet minister in Canadian history. You're not afraid of controversy. In June 2018, you breastfed your child during question period in the House of Commons, which attracted wide media attention. My favorite is when you got a shout out from President Obama, And what I do.
1: I'm good, yeah, There great. was more,
0: I had to-, I, had I, feel to. Like I feel
1: like I'm learning about myself, so that's good.
0: Well, I'm sure you've heard it many times. Karina i want to first ask you how you and your family are doing
1: oh thanks carmel well uh we're good um you know going on six weeks uh in uh, uh, social distancing and then you know staying home so uh we're we're kind of in the new normal like everybody else um, we've uh, given up TV restrictions i think for my son because at some point you just gotta let it go um but uh, other than that we're we're doing good we're okay So thanks for asking.
0: And how are you, how, how are you spending your day? How do, how do you, do you get enough sleep? (laughs) Do
1: I get enough sleep? Uh, I, I think so. Um, I mean, I, I'm i incredibly busy right now um, between being uh, the Member of Parliament for Burlington, uh, the Minister of International Development, uh, mom and wife and daughter and sister, uh, and uh, still trying to be a friend sometimes as well. Uh, it's uh, they're, they're pretty busy days. But uh, I think, you know, maybe this is part of the course for other people who's, who are more used to working from home. But I pretty much wake up and I'm on the phone until I fall asleep at night um, and uh, either on the phone or Zoom, but uh, I'm spending a lot of time on the phone with uh, world leaders, um, with uh, different uh, heads of different UN agencies, counterparts around the world, uh, really trying to shape the global response to COVID-19. And how
0: are you managing working remotely?
1: Uh, well, I have uh, a wall of laptops uh, that kind of keep me connected. And uh, I have three different cell phones. Um, so Uh, between my ministerial and member of parliament and and personal connections. Uh, So I am, uh, you know, very, very connected. Um, And, uh, you know, it's it's challenging because both my um, MP team is working from home. I think they're doing an absolutely phenomenal job, um, you know, responding to constituents and making sure that we're supporting uh, the needs of people here in Burlington. And my ministerial team is working from home as well. So, um, you know, the coordination uh, is maybe a little bit more challenging just because we're not all in the same place. But, uh, you know, every morning I have a staff call with my constituency office to run through what the top issues are that we're hearing, uh, what I need to follow up on with different ministers, uh, to make sure that, you know, people in Burlington are getting access to what they need and figuring out what the gaps are. Um, I think that, um, You know, one of the things that we've done as a federal government is we've essentially rewritten the entire social security safety network uh, in Canada in the last month. And so we're absolutely trying our best and we want to make sure that we're supporting everyone, individuals and businesses. Uh, But it's been really helpful for people who have been reaching out to let us know where there are gaps and um, the federal government has been trying to to address them as necessary.
0: I wanna just take a step back and ask you, do you recall when you first realized that COVID-19 was going to be a national crisis? We know when the various announcements came up, but when you first started to sense that there was gonna be a national crisis,
1: a really good question I mean uh we'd been tracking this issue in cabinet since it the first case was reported to the WHO back in January uh so we've been preparing for this for um a long time we knew that it was going to be coming to Canada um and I think you know we felt like we had a really we we'd had a pretty good handle on things until uh end of February beginning of March um, and uh I had actually gone um away with my family the first week of March um, and came home on on March 7th and uh the next day March 8th it felt like everything changed um and uh I think it was seeing what had what was happening in Italy and Spain um, and Trying to see, did we have a handle on things here in Canada? And things really started to accelerate with March break coming up, um, and that's when I think um, you know, as a country, we were we were concerned about what it meant for people who were traveling and coming home, and what that meant for containment um, measures. But actually, what we saw is it it was happening even faster than that. Um, and uh, you know, I think we put. Uh, the containment measures in place at the right time in Canada. I think we're, we're we're seeing the fruits of that right now. I mean, there's still unfortunately too many cases and um, people who who have lost their lives and and will. But we're not seeing the kind of. Um, you know, just really awful scenarios that we saw in Italy, Spain, or are seeing now in France, Germany, um, the UK, and the United States. So I think Canadians have been really responsible. Um, they've really followed the advice of public health, um, and uh, we're we're seeing the results of that. So it's it's time to stay the course. But but yeah, I I think it was that first week of or the the second week of March when when things just moved so quickly, right and that that things really began to sense that wow this is this isn't just something that's happening over there it's now happening here too.
0: And, and there are regular announcements by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau that we we, we hear constantly even today there was a, a further announcement and adjustment and modification to the CERB measures which I'm sure you'll mention. Um, and can you comment uh, about this? evolving CERB and, and it seems to be we're learning as we go. There's a lot that's happening and and we're getting a lot of feedback, I guess. Can you comment? Am I, am I correct to assume that you're getting a lot of feedback, you and other MPs and, and everybody is kind of working for the same cause or am I mistaken about that? What's happening?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I think one of the things that has been, um, you know, really heartening uh, about this whole thing is that generally, um, MPs are working across party lines. I mean, we, we did see, unfortunately, some kind of partisanship over the weekend when it came to um, what would be possible in terms of in-person sittings. And, um, you know, we ended up seeing that uh, the government and then uh, the Bloc and the NDP voted together, um, just because you know we have to maintain the health and safety, not just of members of Parliament, but everybody who works in the House of Commons. Which unfortunately the Conservatives, um, you know, weren't weren't necessarily taking into consideration with um, with their demands. Um, but uh, overall, um, I think that this has been a really positive experience, um, and you know whether it's MPs from different political parties or different levels of government. We've really seen a Team Canada approach uh, on, you know, overall with with our COVID response. And that has been really, really important. You know, uh, I think ministers have tried to make themselves as available uh, as they can uh, to MPs within their own party, but also across party lines. I know that, you know, I try to be uh, there for my critics as well to keep them informed of what's going on and to hear from them. Um, But, you know, when it comes to the CERB, for example, um, you know, that was already an iteration of, of the initial programs that we had put in place, recognizing that we wanted to make it as simple and easy and as accessible as possible. To Canadians um, to access income supports. And so the, you know, what was initially proposed were two different programs that was rolled into the CERB. We tried to make it as as possible. And as you know, for some people, um, they they may have been working two or three part-time jobs and they lost one job, right? Um, and that meant that uh, maybe they were still making, you know, some money, but it was not nearly enough to to cover their expenses. And so we adjusted to say, okay, so if you're earning up to $1,000, then you're still eligible for the CERB. Um, We tried to adjust to make sure that it was inclusive of um, people who perhaps were in seasonal work or uh, the other gap that we saw was for people who um, were perhaps on EI and their EI has run out, but they're unable to get a job because of COVID. So uh, really, trying to be flexible and adaptable, and um, as the prime minister has said a number of times, you know, um, perfect is the enemy of the good. And we recognize that we needed to respond quickly uh, and get as much support out to as many people as we possibly could. And now we're we're adjusting as as we need to, and and this week as well. Um, you know, one of the The areas that wasn't addressed or one of the groups that weren't addressed by the CERB were students um, who perhaps either are recent graduates, so they don't have the previous income or um, are relying on income from summer jobs that no longer exist um for their for their upcoming school year Uh, and so this so this week we announced the canada emergency student benefit Um, and so that will be rolled out in in the coming days and coming weeks as well so you know whether it's individuals or businesses uh, we're listening we're available and i'm having lots of conversations with uh, folks in our community uh, as to what their needs are Um, And so, for example, the Canada Emergency Business Account, the Canadian wage subsidy, you know, these are all things that we put out there, we've changed and adapted to make sure that they address needs of of Canadians. Uh, And today, we actually announced um, a subsidy for rent for businesses as well, which is really important. That was actually one of the number one issues that I was hearing about from, from businesses in our community. So really glad that we came together with the provinces to make that a reality.
0: Karina, just for our listeners, um, because we're doing conducting this uh, interview, uh, this podcast uh, virtually. You're in, you're in your home, and I'm in my my office. Um, the voice sometimes gets muffled, so I, I don't know if there's anything we can do to uh, to improve that. But I apologize to our listeners. I just want to go back and speak about the communications, um, because communications uh, is key uh, between elected officials, and I'd like you to comment you. on. The communications that you're you're having with the region's office and and Marianne Mead Ward, our mayor here in Burlington.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, Marianne has actually put together a COVID task force for Burlington, and so we meet on a weekly basis to uh, share information and provide updates. So that's been really helpful um, when it comes to the region. Uh, if needed, uh, we chat, but um, uh, we haven't had that much interaction with the region, but I think uh, Gary Carr um, and our your chief medical officer have been doing a really outstanding job. Um, and one of the other initiatives that I, I would really applaud our mayor for is the um, telephone town halls that she's organized. And um, I think really grateful community um, to call in and, listen, and she's um, made sure that, you know, myself, uh, that Jane McKenna, our MPP is there, that the hospital is there uh, to answer any questions that uh, people in Burlington have. And I think that's been um, one of the most effective um, forms of, of communication. And uh, I'm also doing uh, Facebook lives every Friday morning um, So people can
0: tune in. I've, um, I've tried, I've tried, tried to, to uh, tune you, in, but yeah. I, yeah, I don't have Facebook.
1: Oh, well, you can actually... Well, I'm sorry, you actually but
0: watch. I get your I get yeah. your messages and, and I just don't have Facebook.
1: Well, you can actually just watch the link. You don't have to have Facebook.
0: See, I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, so you, you can actually just click the link and you can watch. You can't. I don't think you can participate, but you can watch.
0: So, so what is it that you try to get across in your weekly live Facebook sessions?
1: So, I mean, first of all, I, um, I try to give an update on what the most recent announcements were this week from the federal government, uh, or each week from the federal government. And then I go over the top uh, three to five questions that are sent to my office every week, recognizing that not everyone is going to email me personally. Um, And uh, so share that information. And then, um, you know, just people where we're doing what we're doing. And where we are um, in the curve, and uh, you know reinforce that the the measures that we're taking are working um, and that we're doing the right things here in Canada, um, but also uh, answer any questions that uh, that come up from from the folks that are watching as well.
0: So let's turn the clock forward uh, five, ten years. what what is history going to say about how our politicians responded to this pandemic? And I don't mean you just I mean all all politicians in this team Canada. Can you can you comment on what kind of grade are we going to get?
1: Well, we're still in the early days, Carmel, of, of the pandemic, um, but I think as of right now, I think that politicians, um, I think they I think we're going to do fairly well in the sense that. Uh, we're all working together, um, whether it's at the municipal, the provincial, or the federal level. We've really seen uh, people put partisanship aside, put differences aside, and work together for the good of Canadians. Um, you know, as I said, we're still early days um, in in the pandemic, and and hopefully, uh, you know, we'll we'll be coming through this soon. Uh, as of right now, um, I've I've just been so incredibly heartened to see the collaboration the good work and the Team Canada approach that everyone is taking.
0: Uh, The calls that your office is receiving from constituents, can you give us a flavor for what kind of um, concerns, worries, requests you're getting from constituents?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it changes, uh, on, I'd say on a weekly basis, depending on uh, what's going on. But definitely the the top two issues are surrounding uh, access and eligibility to serve to the CERB. Um, and uh, the other one is with regards to uh, business supports. Um, so those those are the, the two biggest areas that that we get calls on. I think um, with regards to the CERB, mostly it's people just trying to ask how uh, they apply. So I Either online or on the phone, and so it's kind of that navigate to, have to do that. And um, then with uh, business, uh, you know, for the first couple of weeks, it was sharing what the issues are, um, where they need support, and more recently, it's turned more to uh, just guiding them to how they can apply for the supports uh, that they that they need and they require. But those those are the main ones. Um, And then, um, you know, we also try to, well, we hear a lot of seniors who are looking looking for help at deliveries, and so we connect them with uh, local organizations that are providing those services. So the United Way and Halton Food for Life um, are are doing a lot of that, as well as the Burlington Food Bank.
0: Now, I know you're very involved in the community and various charitable causes. Um, Can you just tell me um, what your feedback is from the needs of local charities?
1: Uh, well, they're great <laughs> right now. The needs are are, are very great. Um, I would say that you know, if you can, please consider donating to uh, Halton Women's Place. Um, you know, we're we're we are seeing an increase um, in domestic violence across the country, and our community is no exception to that. Um, and so, they do need all the support that they can get right now. Um, you know, the, the food banks uh, continue to need support, so please consider making a donation to them. Um, Uh, The other areas that are are really important are uh, mental health supports. So the Reach Out Centre for Kids, the Kids Help Phone, um, the mental health doctors here in Halton. um, There's a a new federal website called um, uh, welltogether.ca, I think. Um, And uh, so there's a a portal, free portal to access mental health supports. Um, But I would say that, you know, if you have the resources, please consider making a donation to your favorite local charity, um, because there, you know, people maybe aren't necessarily thinking about giving right now, but it's actually a really important time, and we want to make sure that our charities can get through this and can continue to uh, serve uh, the, you know, the the vulnerable and the needy populations that we have here. And if I could make another pitch, um, you know, I think local conservation charities are. Also, really important to think about right now, and uh, I know we're all focused on health, and that's the right thing to do. But uh, we can't forget about.
0: um Karina, the uh, ninety, the temporary uh pandemic unit, the ninety-three bed temporary pandemic unit at Joe Brandt. Uh, I understand we were the first, and I, I'm hoping to get Eric uh, Vanderwall uh, on one of these podcasts. But uh, can you share some insight? Uh, any any early information you had about? Uh- that unit and have are you can you share with us any information you might have about it
1: well i I mean really that was an initiative from the hospital the city and the region and i think it demonstrates really um good foresight um and thought leadership and action um to to make that happen Um, you know we what we needed to prepare for in Canada was a surge, um, because that's what we saw uh, had the greatest impact on the healthcare system's ability to respond uh, in a pandemic. It's what we saw in the horrific scenes in Italy and the devastating news out of Spain, as doctors having to make really difficult decisions about who gets access to a ventilator or who gets access to an ICU bed. And so, um, you know, Eric's um, vision to get, to make sure that we had that surge capacity here locally and in the region was really important to make sure that we wouldn't have to make those those really um difficult choices and so i'm i'm really proud that um that burlington did that um and uh, as as far as i know um i don't think we have had to um to use it too much, um, but I'm not the I'm not the best placed t- uh, to provide that information. So talking to Eric is probably the right thing to do. But uh, I think again, it just shows how. Um, Really, all levels of government have been working together and have been uh, doing what we can to prepare. And I think that Canada is really fortunate. Um, I mean, it's it's fortune and and planning, right? As soon as we learned of the um, of the new virus in China, uh, we took really measures here in Canada to trace any and all cases, Um, and we did that very very well which us to uh, put planning in place uh, in the event that there would be a surge capacity so that we wouldn't see what happened in New York where all of a sudden it just comes as a wave. That being said, we can't take our foot off the gas um, and we have to, you know, stay the course because, um, you know, this could happen. It could still happen. And even once we start relaxing measures, we have to be really alive uh, to the fact that there could be a second wave. And so we have to be really thoughtful and careful about how how we um, kind of come out of this um, this lockdown that we're in.
0: So, Karina, before I let you go, people are are wondering, when is my life? Going to get back to normal
1: well I don't have an answer to that <laughs> um, and I think that um, we have to realize that whatever we do coming out of this we won't be quite back to normal we're going to be living in a new normal for quite some time and probably until there's a vaccine uh, that is developed Um, That being said, uh, once we start to see a complete flattening of the curve, we still have to go down the other slope of the curve. Um, And so once we start to go down, then we'll start to see um, gradual reopening of the economy. Um, I don't exactly know what that's going to look like yet. But again, we have the added benefit of being two or three weeks behind um, other outbreak centers. Uh, So we can kind of build off of their experience and to see how things go there. So that's, that's, that's really lucky um that you know it's not happening here first um so that we get to learn from others experiences um which you know enables us to hopefully make the most informed choices um and uh it it will be a gradual reopening um but uh that that's we're not we're not quite there yet
0: so after the pandemic how do you see the business of parliament uh, do you see it going back to its old ways or have there been some positive takeaways When it comes to getting things done
1: uh well i guess we're gonna have to wait and see so starting on tuesday we're going to start with some virtual parliaments um so i guess that will be a window into seeing how how things operate or uh don't (laughs) i guess moving forward but um i'm i'm always optimistic i'm always hopeful um but uh i think maybe having a virtual parliament will be Interesting because you won't have the um, the ambiance of uh, you know that kind of riles people up. So maybe uh, we'll get some more uh, respectful debate and conversations in that context. Uh, I'm I'm hopeful for that. Uh, but it will be this is this will be historic. It's the first time that we will have a, a virtual parliament uh, in in Canada. Um, and so we'll just kind of have to see how it goes, take it one day at a time and, and see what uh, what positive lessons we can take from this as we go back to uh, Parliament sitting in Ottawa.
0: Well, I can't end this without calling you Minister Gould. I know no. that we <laughs> know each other personally, but I want to thank you, Minister, for your, your precious time, for being front and centre, for being... Uh, um, a pleasant face who's always giving us inspiration and positivity and informing us and, and letting us feel that there's good leadership taking care of us and looking out for us. So thank you, Minister Gold, for everything you're doing to your colleagues on all sides of the, the aisle and of every political spectrum and every level of government. Thank you so much. We appreciate and um, we, we are so happy that there is a Team Canada looking out for Canadians. Thank you so much, Minister.
1: Oh, thanks, Carmel. It's such a pleasure.
0: Thank you. And to our listeners, please remember to have your say and go to our comment section on the podcast website. Thank you for listening, and goodbye.